is from Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15. Um, okay. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. pleasure uh, to introduce our uh, guest speaker this morning, uh, uh, Pastor Lou. Uh, he's been a longtime pastor and now is semi-retired serving at Sojourn Church up in Traverse City. He's been very generous uh, to us as a church family with uh, preaching for us, a few, preaching to us a few different times now and also providing lots of uh, good, wise counsel. Um, just as uh, maybe an encouragement to Lou, uh, the last time he was here, he preached on being uh, emotionally uh, available to God, you know, and modeling that on our, the Psalms of just the uh, the honesty that the psalmists, you know, all throughout the so many Psalms, uh, the honesty that the psalmist expresses to God, God, where are you? Why are you so far away? Um, and then that model of pouring our hearts out to God and then uh, the end result being uh, experiencing the worship of God as God comforts us in uh, our you know, we are emotionally pour ourselves out to God. God can handle it, um, and he comes in and comforts us in the midst of that. So that's been a blessing to me, uh, Lou, so I wanted to tell you that. Um, so uh, without any more ado, uh, Pastor Lou. Okay, can you hear me now? Is that microphone here? I just blew my voice. Uh, I'm going to stick him in my pocket. Right? Maybe that'll be a little bit more tender. All right, well, it, no, it's not there yet. Are you all shy to say? Hello, hello. Hi. Does that work better? When do your snow melt? Yeah. You can hear? Okay. You can hear. All right, let's just. If you can tell it's the mic, we're good. All right. All right. Well, it's just great to be with you all again, and um, I'm so glad that I can fill in for your pastor. Uh, I know he would love to be here with you among you. And you know, it's, it's just great to be in the Word. The Word of God is alive. It is quick and powerful. It, it pierces and penetrates us. And that's what we're looking at today and expecting God to do in our lives and hearts. 
So again, if in your Bibles, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 5, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, you all have been in the Lord's Prayer for a bit. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15, and we'll read them over and kind of get a flow again from this, from this text. Pray then in this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you do not forgive men their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also... Your, oh, if you forgive men their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, your heavenly Father will not forgive your transgressions. Right on from the get-go, just to understand what this passage is not saying, verses 14 and 15. It is not saying that we somehow earn God's forgiveness by how we forgive. What it is saying is that when a person has genuinely experienced God's forgiveness in their life, the work of God's Spirit is always, to forgive others. If we're struggling holding grudges silently or openly against someone, that is not the work of the Spirit. That is the work of our flesh. When bitterness sets in, it's going to cost us. We will feel the distance from our Lord. So when we're confessing our sin, He will want us to say, what are you holding against another that you need to confess? Because God wants us to be free. And the thing that I want you to learn today, we want to learn today from the Word of God, is that bitterness is bondage. In fact, the more we pay people back through punitive actions or attitudes, actually, in the end, it inflicts far more pain back on us than it does on them. So how do we forgive others from the heart is the question of this morning. How do we do that? What does that look like? And why should we do it? And also, what if we choose not to? What if we just ignore it? What happens then? What if we just try to avoid the person? Not think about it. It'll just all magically go away. What happens then? Well, I'll give you a hint. It doesn't magically go away. It only infects us, inflicts us, harms us, hurts us. In answering these questions, we're going to discover this truth. It's a great one. Forgiveness is freedom. Neil Anderson was absolutely right when he wrote, when we forgive, we choose to set a captive free only to discover in the end that the prisoner all along was us. 
In contrast, the more we fail to forgive, again, we're going to be the ones who suffer the most because the more you choose to hold on to a grudge, that grudge holds on to you. It chokes you. It entwined the roots of bitterness, entwined themselves around your heart and your spirit and squeezes out the joy, the love, the peace, the fruits of the God's spirit. The noose is around our life. So with an unforgiving spirit again, the people we holding these grudges against that we're telling off in our minds, they're not the losers. We are. Which is why I'm sure there are verses like Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 in your Bible. And if you would just turn over, if you can put your marker here and go on over to the Ephesians 4 passage. If you want to know how to get to Ephesians, think General Electric Power Company. It would be Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We want to get to Ephesians. Chapter 4, verses 31, 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. First notice these, the command is, put away bitterness. That Greek word, that put away, literally means to lift something very heavy off of you and put it aside. A burden, something limiting you, weighing you down, oppressing you. That is exactly what grudge carrying does to your spirit. It is this heavy weight you were never meant to carry. It is an oppression. It's a joy killer. So you can see in this text what bitterness, the fruits of it, bear in our lives. Anger and wrath. This refers to actual angry reactions to people. Clamor refers to verbal, verbally and directly attacking a person. Slander is speaking evil about someone else to someone else. It's going behind the back. Malice, though, malice is by far the most common. This refers to those times we speak evil about people under our breath. We may not even say one unkind word to them, but in our minds, we have these conversations where we're saying all manner of evil against them to ourselves. That's malice. These, my friends, are the poisonous fruits of an unforgiving spirit. But it harms us. <laughs> Not the people we're angry at. We're the ones defiled by our own anger and bitterness. Listen to the words of one insightful man. Of the seven deadly sins, 
anger and bitterness is probably the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, and to savor the last toothsome morsel of the pain you are now giving back. In many ways, it is a gift fit for a king. The only problem is what you're wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast will be you. Thus the command in verse 32, put this attitude and these actions of bitterness far from you. You see why? Look carefully. When you read your scriptures, one flow is going to be constant, especially through the New Testament, is the cross of Christ. Because God in Christ has so forgiven you, and he's so forgiven me. And in truth, and it is true, you and I have been forgiven far more wrong by Jesus Christ than anybody has committed against us. It's not even close. And so I said, because you have received, I love the Matthew 18 passage you read, because you have received the much, you give the little. And he asks us to do it. That word forgive in verse 32 literally means to bestow an unconditional favor. And think about the moment when Jesus Christ was on the cross and he was being so cruelly tortured and taunted, abused, mocked. At that very moment, with all of those gathered around, he chose to forgive them and uttered the words, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Guaranteed, there was no one at the foot of the cross asking him for forgiveness at that moment. Many would later, but not then. Likewise, when you forgive someone, they're not going to think they needed it, likely. They're not going to admit it. Many would not even care. But we're not doing it for them. We're doing it for Christ, who so forgave us. Because the highest form of bringing honor and glory to God on earth is when you and I return good for evil and blessing for cursing. That is when the unbelieving world around us begins to take serious the claims that we make as Christians that Jesus Christ has changed our life. So when you think about it, what exactly is at the root of all bitterness? And it, it's very simple, and it is very sinister. It is the owning the right to get even, to exact revenge, to pay back, even if it's only in our minds. Again, if we don't even say a word to the person, because most Christians know and it's wrong to attack someone directly, verbally, 
openly. But we tend to be more passive paybackers in the body of Christ. What we do is we retreat and then we repeat. We retreat from the person, kind of get cold toward them, and we repeat what they did in our minds. And we have conversations. Boy, this conversation happened again, or I'm going to need to tell them this, or how could they have said that? I should have said this. We verbally spar with them, and it's in our minds. It's in our thought life. The more we sow this kind of seed, though, what do we end up reaping? It's a very bitter fruit. It's bondage. It's bitterness. Bitterness is a, is a joy destroyer, a life destroyer. How does, how does bitterness start? It starts so innocently. And Hebrews 12.15 gives us evidence of how it does. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and many end up being defiled. All right. Understand, when someone does or says something to you that hurts you, it is normal and human to feel that pain. And at that moment, it's not sin. But what this Hebrew, the Hebrews passage is saying is that at that moment, it's like a little seed. That hurt gets planted into the soil of your heart. And you're going to feel the hurt. It's just like in the physical realm. And I want to just to share this with you folks. If you, if you drop the hammer on your toe, you're going to feel that pain. It is physically going to be felt. Same way when someone hurts you, relationally, you're going to feel the pain. Do not believe the lie that you're dead to sin and that hurt shouldn't hurt you. That is such a perversion of the word. No, the Bible admits that hurt is going to hurt. It becomes a seed. At that moment, the grace of God comes in. We're to take those hurts to him. Because only he is the great physician that can heal you of a wound. And only he is the wonderful counselor that can help you with truth know how to handle that hurt. And only he is the prince of peace that can settle your spirit to help you go and resolve any differences with anyone in a right way. But instead... If we choose to water that seed in our mind without prayer, without processing, and we have these internal conversations about it, how could they have done that to me? How could they have said that? Took advantage of me, betrayed, lied, cheated? After all I've done for them, I trusted them. I was good to them. And this is what they do to repay me? Well, then, my friend, the bitterness seed begins to sprout. And its poisonous roots go down and bore into our spirit. And it becomes even deeper and more pronounced when we go to friends and family 
and we complain about what happened and how this person hurt us, and they get out the Kleenex box with us to pick up the offense against this person. It comes out in prime conditions when you have mutual issues with the same person and you share your issues and cross-pollinate your offenses one with another against this person. Man, then, under those prime conditions, bitterness is going to grow fast and you're going to come away feeling so justified when you're not. And this is what we will increasingly begin to think. It's their fault. No, it isn't. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You know, I think every pastor, or if you, you kind of think in your mind, boy, if there's one thing I want people to come away with from this sermon, I hope that it would be this. This is one of those points. It is never, ever what happens to you that determines what your life will become. That is the mantra of the, your age we live in in our flesh. What happens to you is what's going to determine what your life becomes. No. It is how you respond based on what happens to you that determines what your life will become. You see, in the former, it makes you a victim. But in the latter, it makes you a victor. Bitterness has four damaging things that it does in us and around us. It defiles, it destroys, it divides, and it deceives. It defiles us with its spirit-killing life, and it defiles us physically. You know, again, medical science, I'm so glad they're getting around to catching up with the scriptures. They have found increasingly how bitterness tears down the body immune system. They are finding out, and they're saying now, it is not so much what you eat, but what you allow to eat you. Now, it's important to eat healthy. I am not, no, I'm not saying that it is not. But what they're saying is, what eats in the side of you and the bitternesses you hold will be far more damaging to you physically than you can ever imagine. It also defiles the relationships that are closest to you. And here's why. When you're mad at somebody, it could be someone who's dead. It could be a parent. It could be a grandparent. It could be a sibling. It could be some former partner that shafted you in a business. You can't just quadrant off your anger toward that person. Well, I'm just mad at them. But with you guys, I'm, I'm good. No, whenever you hold anger against anyone, that anger is going to build in you and it's going to seep out of you. It's going to spill over. It's going to spill out. And who's it going to spill out toward? It's going to be the people you're closest to, the people that are around you, your family and your friends, by many bitterness defiled. And you leave behind a bitter legacy, not a better one. It also destroys, and it's kind of like, kind of 
flowing from the defilement, it destroys. Destroys intimacy and relationships. It destroys emotional closeness. The bitter person is very often silos off their lives so they don't get hurt again. And so they're not vulnerable. They're not open. And it's a lonely existence over time because the walls in their lives are so deep. And then it, be, and then it divides because over time it becomes, well, like, who's for me and who's on my side and who isn't? And it polarizes as it poisons, just what Satan wants. It defiles, destroys, divides, and without question, it deceives. It distorts our thinking, especially from believing the lie, from believing that we are who God says we are. We're a victor in Christ. Instead, again, bitterness makes you a victim. The reason I'm not happy, the reason I'm so crabby and cranky, the reason I react and attack is because it's somebody else. It's their fault. It's kind of like the guy who, after his seventh divorce, said, you know, I fi it finally dawned on me. There must be something fundamentally wrong about women. Victimization puts us in that kind of mindset in this dark dank prison, this dungeon that Max Licato well describes. Black and cold, the dungeon of bitterness denies easy escape. Slippery with resentments. The stench of betrayal fills the air and stings the eyes. A cloud of self-pity blocks the view of the tiny exit above. Step in. Look around. All the prisoners... Its victims are chained to the walls. Victims of betrayal, of abuse, of the government, of the system, of the military, of the world. They lift their voices and wail. They grumble. They sulk. They accuse. Pictures of their enemies are darted on the wall. They whine. No one listens to me. No one loves me. No one cares about me. No one remembers me. Angry, sullen, accusatory shortchanged, cheated, put it all together in one word and it spells B-I-T-T-E-R. Such a person is in the pit, the dungeon of bitterness. This dungeon is deep and dark, but it beckons you. You know, you can enter in. You've experienced enough hurt, haven't you? You've been betrayed. You have a history of rejection, don't you? You've been left out. You've been left behind. You've been overlooked. You're a candidate. And you can choose, like many, to chain yourself to your hurts, or you can choose to put away your hurts before they become hates. Now, how do you put away your hurts before they come, become hates, child of God? There is only one way, there's only one master key, and that is the choice to forgive. But how do you do it? There's three life-giving choices, life-freeing choices to forgive. First is to confess it. You need to. Second is release. And the third is ministering. All right, so I'm going to be honest here. Let's talk about the confessing. Why don't most peop more people confess that they have a bitter spirit? Because they're in such denial that they do. Neil Anderson, who's probably written two of the best books I have ever read, Victory Over Darkness and the Bondage Breaker. 
and has worked with literally thousands upon thousands of Christians. It says, conservatively, I would say 85% of the church of Jesus Christ in America struggles with a bitter spirit. That's conservative. I've worked with hundreds of folk myself. I would confirm that. The problem is we deny that we have it because we say things instead like, well, I'm just hurt or I just, I just kind of talk it out so I can, I can work it out. This is very common, so especially among long-term Christians, this is what's divided our churches. I mean, I deal with all kinds of conflict in all kinds of churches, and folks, it's at the top echelons of what I deal with. Some of the most bitter people have been people in leadership, and they've learned how to deny it. So I'm going to give the five outward signs of inward bitterness. I hope you are going to maybe jot these things down. Again, you're going to be tempted to think, I know who this fits. And you're going to think you're going to get a list in your mind. Boy, I hope thus and thus and so needs to be here to hear this. Well, that may be true, but let's try to hear it for ourselves. First is a critical spirit, where we are quick to find faults with others, but not honest with ourselves to where we take biblical ownership about where we've wronged. Understand we may admit we have some cri a critical spirit, but in invariably, watch this, be careful of this, that there's not some excuse follows it. Like, well, it's my spouse, it's my in-laws, it's my family of origin, it's my job, my health issues, our finances, all this pressure. It's everything and everybody but my own heart. Again, in essence, what we're confessing is that our problem is in our circumstance. It's not in me. It's not my heart. Close cousin to a critical spirit is a prideful spirit, failing to clear our conscience when and where we have wronged. Perhaps we will give this a quick I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> I love this one. I hate this one. Well, I'm sorry you feel that way. Translated. In other words, I was really not wrong in what I did or said. I am just so sorry that you are so overly sensitive. Or, I'm sorry, and then some excuse is attached. I'm sorry, but I was having a bad day, or... You know the pressure I've been under. You push my buttons, or my mother this, my kids that, the job, the weather, whatever. Explain, excuse, exonerate. But what is missing is genuine humility. Christian, the work of God's Spirit is always to have honest confession. Always to move us toward that, where we take appropriate ownership for the things that we've done wrong. So what does clearing your conscience look like? What is appropriately? When you come to someone, you've wronged someone, this is hard, this is freeing. The more you do it, you'll find it to be true. You don't say, I'm sorry. You say, I was wrong. I was wrong. I think those are more powerful words than I love you. It's I was wrong. Then name the sin. I was wrong 
when I reacted to you or I was cold and punitive toward you, I punished you with no excuse. No excuse. I, but it was what you said to me that hurt me. No, there's no but and. There's none of that. Just I was wrong for what I did. Take total ownership for your part. And then emotional identification. I was wrong. I know I hurt you. I know that had to dishonor you. I know that had to frustrate you. Take some ownership. Emotionally identify how that hurt them. And then ask, would you please forgive me? Let me go for this again. I was wrong. Name the sin. Emotionally identify. Ask the question, would you please forgive me? Don't say, forgive me. Ask them, because you want to hear it from them. I was wrong. Name the sin. Emotional identification. Would you please forgive me? Watch the Spirit work in your heart when you do that. Do you know why there's so many divorces among Christians or why so many Christian couples as they grow older tend to grow distant? Again, a lot of reasons can be given, but I want to just be honest. What lies at the root of most of them is stubbornness. Pride. Failure to admit appropriately when we have wronged and seeking forgiveness and extending forgiveness. Listen, what I just shared with you, how to seek forgiveness, I'm going to imagine 99% of Christians either do not know it or do not practice it. And then resentments build up over the years and they're never properly taken care of. A wise counselor said, marriage is two parts commitment and eight parts forgiveness. Amen and amen. Couples that grow healthy in their relationship are those who forgive wholly, and they do it regularly, and they're learning how. Guard your heart, and you guard your marriage, and you guard your future, and you guard your legacy for your children. The enemy wants you divided. The enemy wants you to polarize. The enemy wants to tear your family apart. Don't cooperate. Third characteristic is an ungrateful spirit. What is at the root of an ungrateful spirit? Are you ready for this? It is high expectations and low appreciation. All right, I don't know if any of you came here this morning hoping that you would hear me tell you how you can be more miserable. You may be saying, I've been going to church all my life and no one has ever told me how I can increase the misery in my life. Well, I'm here to be of service to you. Here's how you can be miserable. Have higher expectations of people of what they could, should, and ought to do, and low appreciation for what they actually are doing. The higher your expectations and the lower your appreciation, this is the misery gap. Well, then what brings the joy gap? Flip it. High appreciation of what people are doing, thinking of thanking them, not just thinking in your mind, but thanking them, and low appreciate, uh, no, low expectations. I'm not going to pressure this guy. I'm going to give my expectations to God. I'm just going to focus on gratitude. I'm going to be in the gratitude room, not in the bitter room. Flip it around. Joy. Start expressing appreciation to people. Thank you. Start doing that and watch the, the joy juice of Jesus start filling up in your heart. Watch it. Try me. 
Bitter people, oh my word, complain. Nothing's right. Nothing's ever right. They complain if their ice cream were cold. It just gets on and on and on. There is no gratitude. Fourth characteristic is an unsubmissive spirit toward authority. There's two kinds of reactions. The more aggressive ones are going to be face-to-face. I know better than you attitude. They're going to oppose. They're going to challenge. They're going to second-guess. They're going to criticize. But far more common is the passive-aggressive resistance of Christians. We feign loyalty and agreement, but then when the meeting is over and the backs are turned, we act like termites going underground to undermine. (laughs) Maneuvering, scheming, slandering to get our way. I want you to understand, not every person who struggles with authority is necessarily bitter, but I will guarantee you, every bitter person is. Every bitter person struggles with an independent spirit because they're saying, here's why, I have the right to be in charge of my own vengeance. When God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, they say, no, no way. I'm going to take responsibility for making sure this guy pays. The final characteristic is they're easily offended. Hurt people hurt people and are quickly and easily offended by others. In fact, the deeper the bitterness grows, the more blind they are and see how much they are hurting others. They're so blind to that, they only see how much others have hurt them. All right, how do we get free from bitterness? Listen carefully, because to, un- to internalize this will be life-changing. Freedom from bitterness, again, starts with an admission. An admission. I have an unforgiving spirit toward. I've struggled with an unforgiving spirit. God, it's wrong. That admission. All right. That, the, that my circumstances aren't the problem. This person isn't the problem. My past abuse is not my problem. The real problem, the root problem, is within my own heart. Freedom begins when we acknowledge that our own resentments are of the flesh, they're not of the spirit. All right, next step. Before God in prayer, we release those offenses. How do we do this? And again, I know I'm going fast. I know you guys have tapes, so you can maybe re-listen to this. It's very simple, but it's very hard. Very simple, very hard because of pride. Here's what you do. Get out a sheet of paper. And on one side, you just put name, offense, emotions. Top, name, offense, emotions. You start with the first person. The person in your life that you struggle to forgive the most, you start with him. Them, her, whatever. Put their name. There may be a list of offenses they've done. Each major offense, you have a count, you know, each one of the major offenses how it left you feeling. Put pain words there. I felt belittled. I felt dishonored. I felt abused. I felt used. I felt dirty. I felt shamed. Put the pain words there because if your forgiveness doesn't hit the pain level, the emotional level, it won't be complete. It'll be mechanical. It won't be meaningful. You've got to go through the emotions. And this is the prayer. Lord, I choose to forgive this person for this particular offense, which caused me to feel rejected, belittled, disrespected, whatever. Then pray these freeing words. I choose not to hold this against them any longer. Thank you, Lord, for freeing me from my unforgiveness. If this person is still alive, 
As you pray your prayer to release them, start praying for them personally. Pray that they'll come to know the Lord. Pray that they will grow in the Lord. This is a choice. It's an act of our will. You won't feel like doing it. You never ever wait to forgive somebody when you feel like it. It'll never come. The feeling follows the doing. And it will be opposed. The enemy won't want you doing this. He will fight tooth and nail not to have you do this because he wants you in bondage. He wants you in chains. I have personally experienced when you do it, God's blessing and his grace come upon you. Woo! I have experienced this in my life as well as helping literally hundreds of others just see the transformation. What forgiveness means? When you forgive somebody, it means three things, and I'm going to talk to you also what it doesn't mean. First of all, you're committing not to bring the offense up to that person again. You're committing not to bring the offense up to another person. Like, I'm going to, let me tell you about, and you don't bring it in your mind to dwell on it. And when it does come in your mind, the enemy will want you to bring it up and redwell on it. Then you start praying for them. Right then, start praying for them. And the enemy will start leaving you alone. What does forgiveness not mean? Number one, it does not mean you trust inappropriately. It does not mean you go back and, and, and trust inappropriately. Where they, they, you're forgiving someone doesn't change their character. All right. After we've confessed, we've released, if possible, and if appropriate, minister. Remember what Jesus said, Luke 6, 27 and 28. I say to you who hear, willing to take this to heart and take it to heed, love your enemies by doing good to those who hate you, by blessing those who curse you, and praying for those who mistreat you. How do we love an enemy? It's only by our actions. Good for evil, kindness for meanness, prayer in return for mistreatment. This is when forgiveness takes full circle. You're going to know when you've forgiven somebody when you no longer look at them through eyes of contempt, but compassion. That's when you'll know. You will know because you're going to begin to see not how much they hurt you, but how much they're hurting. That's when you know that God has completely shifted your heart around. I know, some are going to, you may think, why should I do this? They don't deserve it. It's what God did for us. It goes back to the cross. Did we deserve it? Did we ask him to come? What did God do? The offended stepped toward the offenders. Isn't that true? God demonstrated his own love for you and while you were sinners and I was at my worst and we were at our worst, Christ died for us. Imagine how bleak your life would be if Jesus hadn't done that. Imagine how bleak your eternity Oh, my word. So when Jesus tells us to forgive one another, he means it. But here's the neat thing. When you set out to walk down this road, he's walking it down with you. He's got his arm around you. He's going this road with you, child of God. Whew, it's going to be great. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be great. The destination 
is your own freedom. Lord God, we do thank you that you, who were so greatly offended by us, you came and moved toward us out of your love, and you have been pursuing us, longing for a love relationship with us. Thank you for giving your life that we can have life. And I pray, God, for the, the folk here. I pray, God, for the work of your spirit in individual lives, within the congregation in, in total. God, for that work of the spirit to have us live in the light of the cross, including areas of forgiveness. We pray in your faithful name. Amen.